John Seaver History Stories Collection. John Seaver was born in the Shenandoah Valley in 1745. His mother taught him to read, but he obtained most of his schooling in Washington's old school town, Fredericksburg. He quit school at 16. He built a storehouse on the Shenandoah and called it New Market. He lived there, selling goods and fighting Indians, until at the age of 26 he was a wealthy man. He had already made such a name as an Indian fighter that the governor made him captain in the militia of which George Washington was then colonial. Seaver was a fine-looking man. He was tall, slender, erect, graceful in action, fair-skinned, blue-eyed, and had pleasing manners which had come to him from his French parents. He charmed everybody who met him, from backwoodsmen up to the king's governor at Williamsburg. A most promising future opened before him in Virginia, but hearing of a band of pioneers on the Watauga, he rode over one day to see them and resolved to cast in his lot with them. During the Revolutionary War, British agents went among the Cherokee Indians and gave them guns and ammunition. Indian-like, they planned to take Fort Watauga by surprise. They came creeping up to the fort one morning, just at daybreak. Forty deadly rifles suddenly blazed from portholes and drove them back to the woods. During the siege of three weeks, food grew scarce at the fort, and the men became tired of being cooped up so long. Some of them ventured out and were shot, or had very narrow escapes from death. The story is told that Seaver, during the siege, fell in love with the beautiful, tall, brown-haired Kate Shirell. One day, she ventured out of the fort. It was a daring act, for four men had lost their lives in this way. The Indians tried to catch the girl, for they did not want to kill her, but she could run like a deer and almost flew to the fort. Seaver was watching and shot the Indian near nearest her. The gate was closed, but she jumped with all her might, seized the top of the stockade, drew herself up, and sprang over into the arms of Seaver. Not long after, she became his wife. In 1778, Seaver heard that the Indians were coming again. He quickly called his men together, took boats, and paddled rapidly down the Tennessee to the Indian towns. He burned the towns, captured their store of hides, and marched home on foot. How surprised the Indians were when they returned! Nolichucky Jack The Watagua settlement was growing in numbers, and Seaver went to live on the Nolichucky, a branch of the French Broad River. There he built a large log house, or rather two houses, and joined them by a covered porch. Outside were large verandas, where inside, while inside were great stone fireplaces. Here Seaver gave hearty welcome to friend and stranger, no matter how poor, if they were honest. The settlers far and wide, new, and new settlers from over the mountains, partook in his cider, hominy, cornbread, and of wild meat of many kinds. Sometimes he invited them with their families to a barbecue. Whether people came for advice or to call him to arms against the Indians, no one was turned away. Nola Chucky Jack, as his neighbors loved to call him, held a warm place in every settler's heart. In 1780, Cornwallis, then victorious in South Carolina, sent Colonel Ferguson with 1,000 British soldiers into western North Carolina to punish the backwoodsmen.
Ferguson grew bold and sent word across the mountains threatening to punish Seaver and his brave riflemen. This was enough. Colonel Shelby of Kentucky and Seaver resolved to rouse the frontiersmen across the mountains and teach Colonel Ferguson a lesson. Colonel Campbell, with his men from the Holston in Virginia, joined them. A thousand well-mounted backwoodsmen with their long rifles, fringed hunting shirts, and coonskin caps began the march from the Watagua across the mountains. Once across, they were joined by several hundred Carolinans. Ferguson retreated to King's Mountain to steep on one side to be climbed. He felt safe behind this, behind his thousand gleaming bayonets. The backwoodsmen picked 900 men to make the charge up the mountain in face of the bayonets, although among themselves there was not a bayonet. Three divisions, one for each side, marched up the mountain. Down the mountainside came the flashing bayonets. Backwoodsmen in the center retreated from tree to tree, bearing steadily all the time. The British now shot at from both sides as well as in front, turned and charged at one side. Then one division fared into their backs and the other on their side. What could bayonets do in the midst of trees? The backwoodsmen kept to the trees and their rifles seldom missed their aim. The British retreated to the top of the mountain. Colonel Ferguson was killed and his entire army was killed or captured. This caused great rejoicing among the Americans and prepared the way for the work of Green and Morgan. Seaver and Campbell hastened back over the mountains, for the Indians were scalping and burning again. With seven hundred riflemen, they marched against the Indian towns and burned a thousand cabins and fifty thousand bushels of corn. This was a hard blow, but the Indians kept fighting several years longer. Seaver in all fought thirty-five battles. He was the most famous Indian fighter of his time. When Tennessee became a state, the people elected him governor. They re-elected him till he had held the office for twelve years. The people of Tennessee almost worshipped the bold pioneer. He had spent all his time and all his wealth in their service. And while he was governor and living in Knoxville, the early capital, one or more of his old riflemen were always living at his home. Even the Indian chiefs often came to visit him. When the people of Tennessee were debating questions of great importance, they always asked, What says the good old governor? One Sunday, when all the people of a backwoods settlement were at the country church, a bareheaded runner rushed in and shouted, No, no Lechucky Jack's a-comin'. The people rushed out to see their governor. As he came near, he greeted one of his old riflemen, put his hand upon the head of the old soldier's son, spoke a kindly word, and rode on. The boy looked up at his father and said, Why, father, Chucky Jack is only a man. Seaver died in 1850 while acting as an officer and marking the boundary line between Georgia and the Indian lands. Only a few soldiers and Indians were present. There he lies, and with only with only the name of John Seaver cut on in a simple slab. But for generations the children of the pioneers went on repeating to their children the story of the courage of Nolichucky Jack. In the courthouse yard at Knoxville stands a monument erected to his memory. <laughs>